Welcome to the Abundant Edge Podcast. Here we dive deep into the diverse worlds of regenerative living, permaculture, and natural building as we aspire to help you reach your highest potential for yourself, for your community, and for this beautiful planet that we share. As always, I'm your host, Oliver Gaucher, and I'm thrilled to guide you through this week's episode. So let's jump right in. Hi, this is Sarah Reeves from New Society Publishers. We are big fans of the Abundant Edge podcast. Oliver's guests talk about so many of the same topics that we publish on, and he talks with a lot of our authors too. We're proud to be a sponsor of this podcast that is doing such valuable work spreading the word about how to create a finer future together. New Society Publishers has been a leader in sustainable publishing for over 30 years. If you're looking for solutions-oriented books, please visit our online store at newsociety.com other online retailers, or visit a fine bookstore near you. Are you the owner or promotions manager for a regenerative business or organization looking to get your message out to a larger audience? Finding your target audience for regenerative products and services can be tough, especially while the movement is still in its infancy and awareness around the importance of ethical business still has a long way to go. So if you want to tap into a network of informed and motivated people with strong environmental and community ethics who vote with their purchases, then you've come to the right place. The Abundant Edge podcast now has more than 30,000 monthly listeners around the world and is growing fast. These are listeners who are actively involved in the regeneration of our planet and are enthusiastically supporting businesses and projects that reflect their priorities. We now offer competitive sponsorship packages for single episodes and discounted rates for multiple episodes, social media campaigns, promotional videos, and more. The best part is that all your investment goes straight into making this podcast the best resource for regenerative skills education that it can be. Because of our commitment to the integrity of our message and our affiliations, this offer is only open to businesses and organizations that are as committed to regenerative work as we are. If this sounds like a good fit for you, Go to the show notes for this episode to fill out the collaborator application form. We look forward to helping you reach your highest potential. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another Regenerative Roundtable. I'm joined with two of my best friends here in Guatemala on Lake Atitlan, uh, Gabby and Charlie. And I'll let them introduce themselves in a minute because they'll give a much better introduction than I will. But we're going to explore some of the topics that have affected all of us in our day-to-day lives here in a totally different culture, in a different part of the world than, than the three of us grew up in. And I'm going to get the insights from both of them on uh, navigating the differences in cultures and uh, changes of perspective. But before we get into all of that, Gabby, why don't you tell us a little bit about the organization that you run here on San Marcos La Laguna and sort of what its intention or, or service to the community is. Okay. Um, <clears throat> it's uh, La Cambalacha is an arts and recreation program that I've been running from my house for 16 years. Um, we've had different programs over the years. We've had times where we've worked with uh, lots of international volunteers and other times uh, more with local facilitators yeah and what is sort of the intention of the organization and what does it do within the community well uh, I was born in Guatemala but I was raised in the states and I always loved dance and always had access to spaces where I could develop that and and theater and creative expression I never really liked sports And here in Guatemala, there's a a lot of support for sports and not so much for, for art or creative expression. So it's about, um, making, making that, uh, creating that kind of space and then making it accessible to, to children, because I think it's important for, for kids who, um, are interested in the arts to have spaces for that. Absolutely. And. Uh, we're going to come back in a second. I'm going to ask a little bit more about how that actually operates. But before we do, Charlie, why don't you tell us uh, very quickly about your uh, your business here? And if anybody wants to know more of the details of it and, and his work and, and quite a lot about Bamboo, you can go and check out the previous podcast interviews that I've done with Charlie on the website. Um, so, yeah, give us a little summary of, of what you do here. I'm basically a builder. I help uh, mostly foreigners who are moving to this area. 
uh, assess land and build on it. And I do kind of the whole thing from the architecture and engineering to the supervision and management of the build itself <clears throat> and more and more the maintenance afterwards, <laughs> the more houses I built. So uh, the crews I use uh, and architects and engineers, they're all from Guatemala. I try to use as many locals as possible. And uh, I do a lot of natural building in particular, working with bamboo and wood and earth and lime. Uh, and yeah, I build mostly in San Marcos de Laguna and the, t the towns that neighbor us on either side, San Pablo, La Laguna and Sunana. Nice. And yeah, there's so much more information that you can get from Charlie in previous episodes. He's been um, my my teacher and my mentor since I first came out here to the lake, a big reason why I decided to stay here. So definitely check out his previous episodes. Thank but you. anyway, uh, <laughs> getting back to Gabby real quick, uh, I would love to know about how you think your organization, La Camalacha, affects the local community by by adding art and different forms of expression where they might be missing in, in the public education system? So the, maybe what people would think the answer to that would be would be to um, form artists, but it's more about exposure. Um, these kids, the, especially the first generations of kids that came to the Cambalacha, um a lot of their parents uh, couldn't read, couldn't read at all, and didn't have stories or um, books to read to their kids at home. So a lot less stimulated in some ways. In other ways, they have a lot more contact with nature and are a lot more stimulated in other ways. But I think that um, one of the greatest benefits I see over the generations is the level of stimulation that the younger parents are giving their kids because they came to these programs and they experienced firsthand the benefits in their own lives of having space to uh, um, to, to express yourself, to, to develop your artistic sides, to be more sensitive. Um, so, yeah, I've, I've seen that in, in the younger kids, children of parents who were once children in the program and that's been really interesting to see just the the difference the level of confidence that they have compared to to the level of confidence their parents had as kids um yeah that's amazing now let's take it a few steps back because both of you have been here for quite a while and neither are of you are from here originally what was this community like when you first got here? Because I know it's changed a whole lot. I mean, I've been living here full time for just two and a half years in the neighboring town, and I've seen some really drastic changes. So, yeah, give us some context to what it was like when you first moved here and how you've seen it grow and change over time. Um, I've been here for almost 20 years. And when I first came here, it was a tiny town. It was just dirt paths. There weren't that many fences. There weren't walls around people's homes. And here I'm talking about the, the foreign community, the hotels and stuff. Um, there weren't very many hotels or restaurants. There were some. Um, was there much of, access to utilities? Uh, well, no. I The first two years I lived here were without electricity in my home. Um, Did most people have plumbing? Um, was it like maybe a, a, a chorro outside the house or something? Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting because I still see a few houses like that, especially more in Sunu now where I've been living. Um, but there's also really stark contrast to that now. So when did that really start to change? Well, I think in the first five years that I was here, uh, big changes like the internet getting here, people getting cable television. I remember that being a, a big noticeable thing, um, how that affected the kids' behaviors and started watching telenovelas, mm. Mexican telenovelas. <laughs> a lot more drama after yeah. that. <laughs> um, yeah, it changed pretty quickly. I, I feel like I kind of got the last bit of that uh, before the big development 
Boom. Hmm. Now, Charlie, you've been here for a little less time. Tell me what it was like <clears throat> when you came in. Uh, I got here 14 and a half years ago, uh, nearly 15, and it was still very different from what it is now. And I think the biggest changes that I've noticed have been, in particular, the development of the tourist area uh amongst the locals as well uh there's been notable change in the, the standard of education that they've got um has gone up there's a lot more schooling uh also just in terms of numbers i mean back when i was here uh it was definitely less populous uh it's an interesting geography the town because there's the central downtown which is the bottom of a valley the foreigners all came here and uh, and saw this beautiful beach and and forest and um, started building, of course, in the most beautiful, obvious place. Uh, and all the locals live up on hills. And uh, in 2005, we had Hurricane Stan, and it showed all the foreigners why the locals <laughs> build up on the hillside. Um, so much yeah. of that in the towns around here. Yeah, yeah. It's well, only the foreigners that live at the bottom of that. Yeah. <laughs> in, in an earthquake and a hurricane zone. Exactly. <laughs> and it's really daft. Um, uh, and well, I do too, because Gabby didn't know about that when she bought it. <laughs> <laughs> no offense. <laughs> Had to put you on the spot. Yeah, and uh, and people are still buying in the valleys, but uh, the the so the most of the local population is actually sort of fairly well hidden and not very integrated with the with the foreigners. And they, the foreigners sorry, aren't the, very well integrated. With it was them. both. I mean, it's both ways. The, ge the geography is a part of that. Uh, and the also all the, the normal things that you get with a tourist community in a, um, in a local foreign rural community. Yeah. I think we actually need to define that better. I keep forgetting cause I've talked about living in a traditional Mayan indigenous village in Guatemala mm -hmm. through almost more than a hundred episodes of a podcast mm -hmm. now. But if someone is just tuning into this for the first time, we probably should give them better context of, of where it is that we live and how the culture is different. Well, so this town has only had a, a road to it for like 25 years. Mm -hmm. um, Until then, it was only accessible by boat, right? Yeah. Or uh, like and, walking and, through the paths. Yeah, and the boats like, didn't really stop here, even. Hmm. I think it wasn't a, a regular stop. I think there was a dirt track before. It wasn't a, an asphalt track. There was conflict on that dirt track in the 70s so i know there's been a dirt track so you could mm. actually get to it with a four by four but yeah even then it would have been sort of unpassable for and nobody some was doing that year. but so mm -hmm. um this is a kachikel speaking region mm -hmm. right and what does that mean as far as the the geography of guatemala and and the lineages of of mayan would you call them dialects well, there are 20-plus language 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 languages yeah. and different Mayan groups, so this is one of them. Mm -hmm. One of the larger, um, right? Yeah, it's one yeah. of the largest, yeah. And uh, it's here on the lake, we have just two groups, so kind of one side of the lake is... Is one group and no, this is something I was always fascinated about when I first came here is you could go two towns away, maybe 20 minutes driving or less, yeah. and there would be a different dialect that you would mm. have to contend with. And the interesting thing about Sung Medicals is that it's right on the border, so even, yeah. even the local language is kind of a, a mix between the two. But yeah. ethnically, they, they are Kakchikin. But it's hard to give an actual picture or portrait of, of what it's like to to live in a Kakchikel house even now. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's vastly different from what most people in uh, the modern globalized developed world uh, are used to. Uh, the Many of the houses are still adobe with dirt floors. Mm -hmm. um, there's very little uh, income. The, the windows are tiny. People cook over a, a wood Sometimes fire. Open fires, yeah. Open fires still. And uh, I got to see a lot of that when we were doing that uh, rocket stove project last year. Yeah. And see the different contexts in which people are cooking primarily. It's interesting. Yeah. And going inside people's homes, just seeing how few possessions they have alone yeah. is just yeah. a huge difference. I remember Gabby telling me about uh, when she asked a guy who worked with us uh, what the, the most, what the biggest difference between 
his people in our in ours way. He mm. tells the number of sauces you have on your shelves, spices, <laughs> spices wow. and shells and flavors. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you know they will have uh, salt Pretty and austere. lemon and chili. Yeah, and and that's about it. Mm-hmm. And uh, and clothes. And I yeah. mean, the women's clothing is it's uh, it's expensive. It's very valuable. So that's kind of the most. That and the tools are probably the most valuable things in a house here. Yeah. And I'll try and link to pictures or post them on the show notes for this episode too. Just because uh, it's really worth seeing the traditional dress from this area. Mm-hmm. And would you compare it to like the tartans in Scotland where different regions have their traditional patterns uh, for the for the female dress, right? Yeah. And part of that it's, was imposed by... By the Spanish, sure, because the, this isn't exactly how people were dressing pre Columbian, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, though, it, it'll be super rustic the house, few possessions, but then there might be a huge uh screen, TV, yeah, computers, um, sound system. Yeah, that contrast is fascinating. I've seen that in a lot of other countries, too. Like when I was in Senegal or in the Philippines, you got a lot of that. Although not as much Adobe. <laughs> and it's and it's not about poverty. It's about priorities. Sure. Mm-hmm. Well, now, both of you with your uh, different organizations here in the same area, uh, you just your, your property is split between Charlie's building area and then the Cambalacha at the top. Mm-hmm. Uh, what has been your experience in a working relationship? with the with the culture here between language barriers cultural misunderstandings has it been very challenging or uh was it relatively the easy part of running well especially at the beginning the first years um i don't want to say that the parents weren't involved but they were very very busy and it was a lot more street culture at that time that was pre TV in homes. So the kids were out playing on the street all the time and the, and people were just okay with that. And, uh, now you see that's changing and sadly some mothers rather have their kids inside watching TV than playing on the street. Mm. Um, so anyway, I, I didn't have that much contact with the mothers and, and the, the agreements were with the children themselves uh, you know, these are the days that we're going to have activities here. This is the time that you need to be here. They didn't have watches or calendars. So getting that down and getting them into the routine of coming here regularly was, was a challenge and it took about a year and a half, but they're always on time now. <laughs> um, yeah. And then with the kids also, uh, something that's changed a lot is, the language people are a lot more fluent in Spanish now. Uh, when I came here at first, a lot of the kids spoke mostly Cachiquel and maybe some basic, basic Spanish. And some of the kids didn't have any Spanish at all. You don't really see that anymore. Um, so in the younger generation, yeah, yeah. Well, right now those kids are in their twenties, thirties. Sure. Um. So that was tricky, and 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 there were things that I just. I couldn't, I couldn't, I couldn't come up with these things. I couldn't imagine these things. And the kids didn't have the language to really explain it to me or really the confidence. They didn't, they'd never seen theater classes or circus classes or dance classes. They didn't really understand what was going on, but it was fun. So they kept on coming. Um, But there were some exercises or some things that, that, maybe seem to them like something that perhaps in the church they had heard that they shouldn't do, that might be a sin. Um, I remember, for example, uh, a game where you like have to go under another person's legs and the boys wouldn't go under the girl's legs. And then finally, uh, someone was able to explain to me that, that that was just a, a local, um, rule you don't go under woman's legs which is yeah <laughs> I don't know exactly. it's not an unreasonable rule i can see where that came from but i mean that's a that's a well-known game in in a lot of places you know i've yeah, seen that yeah, in the yeah. states i've seen it in guatemala and right you know in bigger cities bigger towns mm. but um that and other other similar things to that like you shouldn't step over a 
a water line or uh, can't throw the, the tortilla on the floor or your child's head might be really big when they're born. Huh. And lots of uh, superstition or beliefs that you just wouldn't imagine that you've never heard of before. Right, and if you have no context important. to it before. Yeah. yeah. And so not... it was learning all of those things was, was tricky and I can took, imagine. Some, <laughs> took some time. Now, Charlie, talk a little bit about the context that you've interacted with mostly, which is employing people on build site. Um, yeah, I, well, I first, when I first came here, my Spanish was pretty poor and I pretty soon got into building uh, and fixing things uh, just because I've always been a bit of a handy person. And I remember Gabby giving me a lot of guidance on my Spanish at the beginning because it was something I noticed a lot with foreigners when they first get here and they're not used to speaking Spanish or speaking Spanish in this culture. Uh, they can be very uh, domineering, uh, bossy, loud. Um, they make a terrible impression on them and thoroughly offensive without realizing it. And, sure. Uh, so for me, a lot of my work with uh, working with uh, local workforce has been about developing my rapport and my ability to explain and understand uh, each other and Gabby's been a great help with that she's helped me and, and I and I often think in terms of helping foreigners deal with um, <clears throat> deal with making the transition to working well in a local environment like this in another especially in another language uh, or even in the same language with another culture, is learning certain ways of putting things um, and just start learning some basic key phrases about how to ask nicely for things, which in our own language we, we know well how to do, but um, they they don't always come that easily. Uh, and especially with the intonation, uh, just the volume alone that most people speak around here is so quiet yeah. compared to <laughs> what, what foreigners speak. I remember hearing conversations, like, how can they even hear each other? Uh, and, you know, whereas I'm obviously got a very loud voice and, uh, and have a lot of confidence and uh, I could be very well dominating. Mm. Um so thinking about the, the context, so you've got this other culture and you've got this other language and they've got their ways of doing things. Um, I think there's some ones that are peculiar to Guatemala. Um, there's a certain level of stubbornness and pride that uh, Guatemalans, especially in the mountains, are, are pretty well known for. Well, they are in my book, uh, and that was one of the first thing I noticed when I got here was I, I was I spent a lot of time in India, and I came over and adopted the Indian way of haggling with uh, local boat drivers, and immediately nearly found myself being pushed off the dock for trying to haggle on the price. I knew I was being overcharged, but the way I did it was in the Indian way, which is sort of very jokey and at the same time quite uh, firm with your mm. haggling and uh, and he took it as a great affront and, and got very angry with me. I was like, okay, 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 I'm not going to do that here. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And the pride issue, I mean, I think it's great. It's great that there's a sense of pride. Uh, at the same time, sometimes people will literally cut off their nose despite their face. I've noticed that quite a, a lot in, in my interactions here, especially with negotiations and things. Uh, fortunately, I don't really have that much negotiating that I have to do, uh, apart from maybe with contracts, and that's usually a fairly amicable thing because it's usually with someone I know quite well. But the I don't quite know where I'm going with this question. <laughs> uh, describe the context. Uh, well, can I just say to you yeah. about that? With the mm. what, what you're, I think what you're referring to is pretty specific to a place like this where there's been tourism for as long as, as there has been here for decades now Yeah, and the resentment that that creates Yeah, because I don't think that you would um, probably describe people, mountain people in other places in Guatemala that way. Right. Okay. Mm -hmm. 
Thank you. I think that it has yeah. a lot to do with the tourism and the, and the resentment that yeah. it has created. Yeah, no, that's a valid point. I mean, that resentment, I think, is something, again, thank you, Gabby, for enlightening me still. And it's a continual journey of, of discovery living sure. here. That was, I think, you asked me what it was like when I first got here and what it's like now. One of the biggest things I've noticed has been how little I really knew at the beginning. Um, despite my background in anthropology, which I've got a degree in, and uh, extensive travel throughout my late teens and 20s, uh, and experience with foreign languages and cultures in, in both modern and developing countries. So I considered myself at 31 when I got here um, fairly worldly. Yeah, yeah. And uh, it's been humbling to find out just how wrong I was about that and just... Uh, more and more I realize how little I'm really going to understand of what it's like to, to, to be someone from this town and, or from anywhere else for that matter. Um, and it's this gradual uh, approaching that I'm trying to do to get closer to a better understanding, but knowing that I will never get there. In the sure. Yeah. Now, as we've talked about the, the changes in the development in this town, the major force behind that has been the tourism industry. What are your opinions on that in, in what it's brought and how it's influenced the town over the time you've been here? Well, if you look at just a couple towns over in San Juan, um, they also have tourism, but they've, they've managed it in a very, very different way. And they haven't had the problems that we've had here. And the problems that we've had here are, um, well, I guess a, a mismanagement of the tourism, a lack of guidance, and a lot of uh, young backpackers wanting to have a good time and maybe not taking enough time to look around and see if they're possibly offending anyone in a very small, very conservative um, Christian indigenous community. Yeah, because it's not just your average, like, backpackers or, um, like, holiday makers that come here. San Marcos specifically attracts a very specific crowd. Yeah, a festival, uh, yoga, you electronic age. music, or um, like ecstatic dance. Yeah, <laughs> I, think, I think it's that contrast that might have been more effectual on this place than just tourism itself, because there are very different vibes on each of the towns here around the lake based for on sure. the type of people that their message is put out to attract. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I know just living 40-minute walk away from here in Sununa, the it's it's much less developed compared to this place and tourism hasn't been as nearly as large of a factor there but as it's growing and it's growing extremely fast the identity of the town is starting to form with the people that it attracts mm -hmm. and you know we talked a little bit about the type of uh people that generally are attracted to the scene here and maybe that is an even larger contrast to the indigenous culture here than everyday life from each of our respective countries don't you think because it's a it's a little bit more of a extreme expression of our cultures and kind of a narrow demographic of it no yeah for sure um these are also young people who can afford to to travel as much as they do and a lot of them are traveling a lot of the time right so they they come with um make their they're barefoot, but their teeth are perfect, and they have um, laptops and fancy cameras. And Yeah, I don't know what to think of it either. I see a lot of people from very privileged backgrounds mm -hmm. walking and presenting themselves in a way that would imply more destitution and poverty than the people that they walk around who <laughs> literally have access to yeah. a few dollars a day. Yeah. And I mean, I, I like walking barefoot <laughs> at home. I do, but I'm, I'm not going to do it out in the town because 20 years ago, a lot of the kids didn't have shoes and it wasn't an option. They really, they didn't have shoes <laughs> and there's dog poo and there's glass. So <laughs> there's also that. It's just they, they look kind, kind of, of funny. You know? <laughs> so it, it, it catches it, me off guard too. 
I don't know. It's a balance. I mean, I understand also the wanting to spread the 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 freedom or the enlightenment or the cacao experience. <laughs> I get a little cynical, but um, a lot of it is beautiful, and and there's a really positive message behind it. But you, you and can't there's great impose. people here as well too. For I don't sure. mean it as a cri- critique of any individual. And I think that the younger generations are going to be a lot more open to it than than their parents were. We're already seeing that. We're seeing local kids starting to go to the to the tourist parties and 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 having a really good time Ecstatic and enjoying that and, kind of freedom yeah. too that they're that's not as permitted in town what about you charlie what have you seen that i mean obviously um expats are your your main clientele mm-hmm. so you've interacted with a lot of them and helped to develop uh, a lot of the retreat centers and mm-hmm. and private residences here Talk about that experience and, and how the tourism that is being attracted here has affected you. Has affected me or the local community? Well, both. Uh, yeah. Um, well, it's given me plenty of work and given my crews plenty of work mm-hmm. and uh, all the subcontractors that we work with. Uh, so there's recognition of the value that they bring. And, you know, it keeps us housed and fed. Uh, It's certainly uh, a huge contrast what the locals here witness uh, in terms of people's wealth and and privilege. Uh, And some of them are very curious about that. Some of them are, are daunted by that. They... The, the the great divide between uh, the the wealth uh, does all sorts of things to to people. I mean, even myself, I, I was raised amongst people who and educated amongst people who were way way wealthier than me, and uh, I do feel like I have uh, less confidence than they do, just because they have uh, that spending power and that ease of doing things Hmm. um even though i was raised among them uh just having that much money makes makes a difference and it creates this division that's that's in a way impossible to completely breach um it's been fascinating to see amongst my crews who takes the most advantage of it and it's the more curious ones who uh, ask more questions and to get more involved and take advantage of the opportunities to learn and to uh, earn as well. Um, and it's yeah, I love working with those people. Vicente, who one of my leads, um, yeah, Vicente, lead, awesome. lead guys. <laughs> I mean, he's a great example of that, and, and Sebastian as well. And 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 they're constantly pursuing more knowledge and more connections. And and uh, the language is still a huge barrier as well. The tiny number of locals who actually speak English uh, is is gradually changing, but that's taking a very long time to change. I feel uh, opening that door, and I, I really have been wanting to to teach English to some of my students. Uh, sorry, some of the uh, some of the crews, uh, so that um, they can start bridging that divide too. Um, and I think that's already happening in the younger generation just through TV and music and movies. It is, it is. It's still still a ways to go, though. Um, and, yeah, until they can actually start to take on some of the client management and mm-hmm, be exactly. able to run their own mm-hmm. projects and interact directly with them. And they already can if the client has learned basic Spanish, but a lot sure. of the clients don't even sure. have basic Spanish. Um, and a lot of the reasons why you and I have come in and been able to be effective on those projects is because we have experience working not only here, but all over the world and getting, uh, sort of Western standard projects done mm -hmm. in developing infrastructure. Yeah. Certainly the talent and the, the, uh, the work ethic here is that I don't see any difference from all the other, um, countries that I've worked in, Mm -hmm. but the infrastructure can be quite challenging to work under as well. Oh, definitely, yeah. And uh, the ease with which we can get things done back in modern, we'll call it modern overdeveloped, overdeveloped <laughs> countries um, 
uh, often I find that my role as a builder here is undervalued because people are just so used to that and they think, oh, you just get it done. You just right. call someone up. Oh, my goodness. Tell like, me about it. That's yeah. been some of my biggest challenges here is like to to accomplish things on time and within budget mm-hmm. in the variables that you have to work with here. Yeah. And when it happens like nobody sees it because they're used to it getting done that way at least out of the clients that i've mostly had and add to that the fact that most things here seem to cost less and everyone thinks well it should be much cheaper than that so they're haggling with you on the percentage as well without realizing that everything costs less maybe if you burn by a store but you have to get it from the store to here onto this remote site. Oh, and, man. And, you and I yeah. could go on forever just <laughs> complaining about all the things that people don't understand about our jobs, but of course. Yeah. Um, what about you, Gabby? Like, what have been some of the biggest challenges that you've had uh, kind of navigating the structure of your organization and bringing on help from the local community, sort of explaining that vision? I'm not great at fundraising and asking for support in general, so... Um... Um, I, I don't, I don't ask for that much help. Uh, I get the parents to come in and we do recitals and, and shows for them and, and they come in every couple of months to, um, to receive a stipend that we give so that the kids stay in school. At least that's officially what it's for, <laughs> but really it's, it's more about, um, and getting the parents to respect the schedule and not ask their kids to to do um, work like going to get the firewood or taking care of the younger siblings or taking care of the house because the parents have to go run an errand in another town. Um, and just uh, valuing that uh, space for, for recreation for the kids. Um it's changed over time because the younger mothers, they speak Spanish, whereas before a lot of them didn't. So communication was impossible unless it was through a translator. And more and more, we, we did have translators. I think probably my biggest challenge was to get over my own assumptions, even though I'm Guatemalan, I'm from the city, and I also spent a big chunk of my life in the United States. And I was a young artist and I was probably a little bit too full of myself. And I think getting past that and realizing that that wasn't going to impress anyone here, um, that it was going to have to be through uh, doing work that was valued here by the standards here. And and slowly, you know, making um, propuestas. Proposals. Um, proposals. Offerings. Um, yeah, new ideas and, and integrating them into something that, that feels comfortable and, and, and at least a little familiar and not too far out there that it's scary and people don't want to participate. Yeah. The idea is not to be jarring to the local culture. It's to to find a way to work within it. For sure. And you go, you go slowly and you listen. And when something isn't okay, you don't push for it because, um, it's, it's about what people are going to. I got to say that's something that I admire so much about both of you. And one of the reasons why I think I've learned so much from just hanging out and, and learning from both of you is that you do take the time to listen and, I wish I could say that about more of the people that I know who have businesses or live here full time is a lot. Listening is, a, is sort of a humbling act, but is absolutely essential if you want to actually understand the context in which you're operating. Right. And it's not just uh, it's not just listening as far as what people tell you directly, but observing, too, when when you could just as easily like force through an agenda or an advance, some sort of idea that you had, which probably wouldn't work anyway, because people are going to put up a lot of resistance to that. And you say that, but this town has completely transformed because of people pushing their agendas on this place. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But those people aren't necessarily trying to convince anyone that it's the right thing. Yeah, exactly. And that's what I mean is like, you guys have done that. And I see, big differences in between like how many of the local community are actually here and interacting with you and taking part in your day-to-day lives compared to a lot of, you know, 
places just geared towards the tourist market and attracting people from overseas. So why has that been so essential to your to your lifestyle here? Was it sort of a conscious decision from the beginning to open yourselves up to that and really invest in in your interactions in this town? Or is it something that kind of evolved as you understood the place better? No, for me, it was for sure from the very beginning. Um, that's what I wanted to mm-hmm. do. I wanted to make a space for for kids and art and, and games and fun. And so what first attracted you to come here specifically? Um, well, as a Guatemalan, you, you come to the lake for the weekends. I eventually came to San Marcos because there are lots of towns around the lake you can visit. And uh, it was kind of love at first sight. Mm. Stepped off the boat and uh, fell in love. Started coming regularly, got a small piece of land and started getting to know the kids who just lived near the place I was staying and started bringing crayons and drums and, and little things I could bring on the bus on the weekends because I was still working in the city. And uh, I just, I saw the 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 desire to, to part- participate and, and to have a space like that from the kids. So that um, definitely motivated me to, to finally leave the city and, and come here full time. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I came in with... Uh, sure, my arrogance uh, about mm, some of my beliefs, thinking that I was right, of course, uh, and and I still have some um, beliefs of my own as well that not all people will share with me here. Uh, so, <clears throat> but coming as I did from an anthropological background, um, from a sort of progressive uh, traveling family. Uh, I, you know, I lived in Algeria as a kid and we always went, went traveling and, uh, I was fascinated by, uh, even though I'm from London originally, I, I was also always fascinated by nature and people live in nature and, uh, the ideal of the, the hunter gatherer, uh, and, and the, recognizing that a big part of human evolution comes from that. And I've always felt very, uh, drawn to nature and knew I didn't want to live in London. So, I very much wanted to live in a place like this. Um, and the whole anthropological exercise is very much one of uh, deconstructing oneself and one's beliefs and uh, making a deliberate effort to understand others. So, and listening is a big part of that. Uh, so, also from my work's point of view, uh, creating uh, something I, I'd worked in business and education beforehand and something that was important uh i realized more and more and that wasn't it was a skill i wanted to develop was uh the creation of a a very healthy working environment where people feel empowered and encouraged uh where they learn where there's a good respectful environment and so creating that was very important, I saw, to getting uh, good work done, no matter where you are in the world. Uh, so in a way, I already had some experience with that and came here with that in- intention. And if anything, it's just been a gradual development and honing of, of those skills because I, I came in and, yeah, I used to really annoy people and, and offend people with the way I used to um, say things and it's been a gradual listening and trying to you know uh, taking the humble perspective also that you know one doesn't have all the answers and that the more people thinking about a solution uh, the more likely you are to come up with a with a good creative um, solution to a problem uh, the creation of that here has been interesting because the local culture doesn't necessarily uh, work that way much when i when i worked in india much in the same way there's a sort of traditional way of of getting work done which is you had a sort of very authoritative uh, and authoritarian uh, leader and supervisor uh, and sort of punitive measures to make sure everyone toes the line and gets the job done and uh I try to turn that upside down and to create uh, uh, the opposite of that so that people do feel empowered. And there is still a hierarchy, of course. We have to do that to, to get the job done. Um, 
and I very much try to encourage uh, healthy work practices of you know less swearing and uh, being a rural community there's generally less swearing here uh, and, and no drugs and no um, yeah, just uh, no, doing certain things a certain way like uh, the way you communicate with each other um, no f- yeah being respectful yeah yeah what it boils down to and uh creating a a place where problems are solved collectively and really trying to create a good work uh work environment and i love that about my my workshop and my office space where about between on any given day there are usually between sort of 12 and 20 people working down there and uh, I loved receiving the compliments from people who walk in saying, oh, well, everyone was smiling, everyone was chatting, um, and they made me feel really welcome. They helped me get what I want. Mm. Uh, and I, I take great pride in that. Uh, and uh, the other day we had an incident where a newcomer who had a back issue had been hazed by a few of the guys, and that which had never been happened before. And they, mm. they just treated it as a bit of fun because they were used to joking around each other, but they hadn't been respectful to him and they terrified him and he went and spoke to someone and word got back to me and I do have to get things like that in check and, and yeah, you know yeah. it takes work because they're still young young people yeah, um, yeah. and bringing work, women into the work environment has been uh, tricky in building uh, and I've had a few female technical drawers but trying to get locals to uh, open up to the idea of women working in construction and uh, and those more traditionally male-dominated uh, professions uh, try to do that too. Uh, we've got a ways to go on that. But yeah. yeah. So with all of this observation and um, sort of insight that we've talked about up until now, what would you most like to see affect this place positively moving forward? Like what are some of the steps that could facilitate cooperation and healthy development? Uh, between the different cultures that have settled here? I, learning English is definitely one thing that could help. Uh, the language barrier is... Big. How do you think that would help most? Uh, well, it helps people understand each other. It helps locals understand the, the English-speaking foreigners and, and vice versa. I think people can more comfortably find out about locals. That's, that's one thing that would really help, I think. Mm. Um, well, either... The learning English or both parties learning Spanish better because this the local Spanish is usually pretty basic. Yeah, certainly the level of Spanish for, yeah from the yeah. tourists is very basic. So as well. that's also limiting for for both sides to really be able to express what they're trying to. I think also though, if they do learn English, not to say one's better than the other. I mean, it'd be great if both were happening uh, it, with the learning of English. Uh, it does uh, create more job opportunities for people mm. from the town, whereas what tends to happen with most uh, rural communities and less developed uh, communities when they find themselves the centre of a tourist boom, they tend to uh, attract entrepreneurs from outside who tend to make the most money and that's happening in this town mm-hmm. so the foreigners and the, and the outsiders all flood in and, and make the money and very little actually gets uh actually trickles down yeah exactly to the local community so uh entrepreneur training would be another thing then mm. uh and that's something i try to encourage my workers is to uh, not sell their land but uh build uh, a small casita and rent it out on airbnb and uh, i've been encouraging several of them to do that and indeed some of them are yeah. slowly doing that more vicente being sebastian yeah. vicente some great yeah. great examples what about you gabby what are some of the things that you would like to see kind of yeah, develop more, healthy more local business owners um i think some of the young people who've been working with tourism uh, will probably be better equipped to to start their own uh, tourism businesses, and I think they're they are going to be learning English, and they're also because of social networking, going to be uh, having a lot more access to to all kinds of information that's going to help them 
uh, run their businesses successfully. Yeah. Something else as well is organization. Uh, that the local community is quite divided and disorganized and disintegrated because of its history and and who knows what else. Well, but not just the town. I mean, we could pretty much say about the whole country. Yeah, the whole country. Yeah, indeed, indeed. Goodness knows that's a whole other topic yeah, that yeah. we could get into. But <laughs> but also the but the disintegrate. Yeah, the the segregation in the local community and lack of organization uh, means that they can't fully uh, take care of their um, their community and their culture it's sort of uh, that's not what I mean what I mean is uh, compare it to San Marcos to San Juan like we were saying earlier San Juan has been a lot more organized and it's managed to and San Pedro as well uh, the very different towns, the sort of tourism they receive, and uh, the San Pedro's a party town, and San San Juan's a sort of especially focused on weaving. It's been very organized yeah, yeah, with its weaving, a lot of artisanal yeah. goods, mm-hmm. yeah, tours and yeah. and visiting the, yeah. the cooperatives. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah, no, I mean you get a completely different feel when you go into it. Yeah. It's mm-hmm. like, oh, this place is organized, and and you immediately and many of the businesses are locally owned. Exactly. Yeah, more so than here. Yeah, yeah. So and you'd probably. Uh, Probably the same backpacker who feels totally comfortable walking through San Marcos in a particular style <laughs> <It might laughs> probably feel... <laughs> would feel a little bit out of place in San Juan. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But equally, the the foreigners who live here, the local longer term residents like Gabby and me and you, uh, the community is still pretty disorganized. And I think a lot of people who come to San Marcos are, and a lot of people who come to rural remote communities tend to be uh nomads and misfits uh, <laughs> a little bit and, and that we're not we're a huge collection yeah. of weirdos yeah there's really a lot of eccentrics and and goofballs in these communities yeah i love it for that reason but yeah, yeah. and i don't think it's a matter of like san marcos becoming like san juan that's not gonna happen this has had its own evolution and i think mm-hmm. it's gonna be more along the lines of the young people taking what they like uh, what what's more attractive to them from uh, what the tourism has to offer and and then creating their their own thing mm-hmm. that works for them and for their own culture and uh, syncretism of those two worlds. Mm. Well, the organization of of both worlds enables sort of healthier communication, I think, between them, and also having a well-organized local residence community can help create guidelines for visitors and uh, more information sharing uh, with those visitors. Uh, There's been some stabs at that by the community, uh, but they tend to sort of, they come in waves and they occasionally do a little, but really so much more could be done. And it's uh, kind of frustrating uh, seeing it, uh, continue the the sort of um gaffes and and culture clashes that that we have by having these all these tourists boom into town i mean the tourist season here is about three three months long the high season and it but takes over the town there's significant yeah. tourism here for a full six months before the rains come yeah right? i mean really the whole year round there's, there's still yeah. quite a, for, a yeah. presence of foreigners uh for sure, but the, the the big boom that we're just reaching the end of now um, that comes every year, especially with the Cosmic Convergence Festival that has started Santiago, six years yeah. ago, um, brings in that was a huge jump in tourist numbers, uh, and also the types of tourists that we saw. That we always had the freaks and the weirdos here as well, and I consider myself a little bit of one of those too. But <laughs> I uh, do too. Yeah. <laughs> what, you or me? Yeah, you. <laughs> Definitely you. <laughs> I'm way too well adjusted for this place and I'm constantly being made fun of for it. <laughs> um, no, no, no. I'm just as weird as everybody else. Don't get me wrong. Trust me. You're just as weird. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm the only normal one. Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, but the, that created uh, 
a huge jump in tourist numbers and uh, and it was difficult to control how those people behave. In fact, yeah. there's pretty much no control. They did what they wanted and they still do. And, and I feel like that could be steered and guided yeah. a little bit more healthily Definitely. if we got a bit better organized. And it's, it's not with a bad intention. It's just a lack of information. Yeah. So we've talked a lot at this point about how the culture has been affected by the development here, the way that it's interacted with the foreign community coming in through tourism. From an ecological perspective, what have been the changes that you've seen in this area? Has it been positive uh, in your time? And, and maybe what are some of the biggest ecological threats to, we'll say, the sustainability of the way that this is growing? I hadn't seen the lake get sick until... Yeah, 2008. Yeah. What does that mean? There's too many of us pooping and using soaps. No, I mean, give us an idea of, like, the lake getting sick. What does that mean? The algal blooms. Okay. So, so we have... Give we a little have, context of what we've got going on here. It, it happens a couple times a year, and we have a cyanobacteria bloom. Um, this isn't my my strength so I can't give you the scientific explanation of it so well. but it gets um it gets yeah full of the cyanobacteria looks like a little green fuzz in the water not so nice to swim in yeah it does um it, it has fortunately gone away every time um with the wind and cold yeah so to give a little more context we're on a massive high altitude lake in what they call a caldera which is like a depression in a highly volcanic area. And we're surrounded by three major volcanoes, this whole ridge of, uh, of the mountains that go through southern and western Guatemala um, are very active. There's a lot of active volcanoes in this area. And as we we're talking about like the sickness of the lake, the pollution, because it's a very, very large watershed around the outside that drains into this lake, and this lake does not have a natural... Um, outlet via land. Um, it's speculated that there's one that goes underground and um, deposits into the Pacific, I believe. But basically what goes into the water in this watershed here stays in it. And as these communities have more than doubled in population since you guys have been here, um, there is pretty inadequate sewage treatment and there's a lot of impact from agricultural runoff into the lake. And that's been affecting the the chemistry of the lake and the life that that can survive in it isn't that correct yeah and it wasn't such a big problem before because there weren't so many of us mm. yeah the tourists have gone up there have been roads building which causes erosion the forests are being logged more so there's greater erosion from that babies survive yeah mothers survive yeah i mean the population of san marcos in 1986 was 850 odd Whereas now it's over 4,000, so the local population has grown enormously too. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And uh, the uh, so all of those factors have made uh, this, this lake uh, have to host a lot more people. And you can see that in the lake. You can see that in, in terms of the lake's the health. I mean, the deforestation around here. Uh, water as well. When I got here, there was abundant water. There were rivers in the rainy season. Uh, now you hardly ever see anything in the dried up riverbed. Uh, San Pedro is taking half of San Marcos's water uh, because it doesn't have any springs over on that side of the lake. And uh, there's more houses being built. Uh, one positive thing for sure has been the alternative uh, farming movement, the permaculture uh, and general respect for nature that a lot of uh, the foreigners who've moved here bring with them and try to share. Yeah, lots of really good organizations that are um, promoting Organic all farming. kinds of yeah. eco-friendly yeah, yeah. solutions. Proper waste disposal, things like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's a lot of NGOs and initiatives around here. Um, and we're just, you know, a part of that in Sununa. Um, especially from the agricultural perspective. Yeah. 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 Uh, I mean, fortunately, the hills here are quite steep. So 
there's a certain amount of uh, foresting that's always going to be here. But just looking at firewood, if you go, if you climb up the valley here, you after about two hours, you go up a steep uphill and it takes you to this, what used to be cloud forest and full of trees. And it's parts of it still are, but they've been gradually felling those uh, much mm. older trees. So there's fewer and fewer old growth trees here. Um, and, you know, uh, there'll always be a certain amount because of the steepness. Uh, I feel that that's one of the nice things about this country and one of the reasons why it's uh, being able to keep such a high indigenous population compared to, uh, say... The colonial effects of other areas. Yeah, sure. from Belize to, to Mexico. All the surrounding countries really have far fewer indigenous populations than... Guatemala is because of the mountains here mm. uh, and that it's been a lot harder to colonize and uh, exploit the, the lands here. Sure. Um, so ecologically, uh, but along with tourism, I think one of the biggest uh, threats is actually climate change. Uh, mm. And the last four years, we've hardly seen any water, um, uh, any rain. It's been gradually less and less rain coming here. Right? So I'm, I'm nervous about what that's going to do given the increased demand on yeah, on yeah. water um i know up above santa cruz which is two towns along the uh along the northern shore of the lake uh they've just run out of water because they chopped all the trees up the top because of all the building yep uh so yeah spring started to die yeah. off and yeah the the rivers that used to run all year yeah. Now they just have their season or sometimes shut off entirely, yeah. Yeah, and I do fear a, a collapse of the lake at some point. Yeah. And I, I, sadly, with the corruption in local politics, the uh, funds that have been made available for um, mitigation of that uh, have been, uh, yeah, co-opted. Misappropriated. misappropriated and, yeah, <laughs> basically not spent on, on anything other than yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. people's personal things. Well, so are there any initiatives or advancements around here that give you some hope that things might get better or do you think that this is moving in a direction that's going to be hard to to recover from uh, i don't have a lot of hope for the human species in general <laughs> um i have hope for for sung marcos uh taking a positive turn in in social development because i have a lot of um faith in, in the younger generation. Vested interest as well. Yeah. And and I mean, there are also, you know, these new challenges that they face because they live in this modern, these modern times. The population is plateauing as well. I should add that population yeah, growth. For sure. Was, it's going to start yeah. going down because yeah. parents, you know, young couples are not wanting yeah. to have that many kids. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's already slowing uh, the population growth. Hmm. But right now, over half the population of the town is under 16. Yeah. And they're all going to grow up. And they're going to be mobile. But yeah, they're going to have some of them are going to have kids. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Interesting. So before we kind of wrap things up, can you give our listeners some insights in how they can get in touch with you, learn more, especially about La Cambalacha, because Charlie's <laughs> not only got a whole bunch of content uh, with Abundant Edge in the past, but he's also going to be featured as a contributing consultant and designer. And I'll have that up uh, hopefully by the time that this podcast goes up. But if you haven't seen it by the time you're listening to this, I promise I'm working on it. I'll get it up there soon. So let's talk first about La Cambalacha, how they can get in touch with you and support your efforts. Um, well, we're all always interested in volunteer artists coming to work with the kids. That can be just one afternoon or, or several months. Um, yeah, there are people staying here in San Marcos. If you're going to be coming through and you'd like to share some of your time with the kids, or if you'd like to get in touch with me, I'm at contacto, that's contact with an O at the end, at acambalacha, so the C, dot org. Um, if you'd like to organize uh, volunteers, stay with us. Nice. And I'll be sure to put a link to that on the show notes for this episode as well, so you can go right to that. Um, Charlie, do you still use your website or should <laughs> I just direct people to ours? 
Why don't you direct them to yours still? Because yeah, I think it's time to shut mine down. <laughs> Fair enough. All right. And I'll make sure that I'll link uh, as well to opportunities to get in touch with Charlie. So thank you guys both so much for sharing your insights and your experiences with your interactions with this town and sort of the the development of your own understanding of this place and the context and also all that you do for the community. I've I started by living here for four months while I studied with Charlie and I got to see day-to-day activities of the Kambalacha, the way that Charlie interacts with the working crews and the natural building initiatives that he has around town. This was really the inspiration that kept me here for two and a half years going on. So thank you so much for all that you've helped me with in, in understanding and getting established here. It's been such a pleasure, and I'll probably see you guys tomorrow or the next day. So we'll, we'll say goodbye, but we're going to hang out again real soon. <laughs> thank you. Thank you so much for tuning into this week's episode. As always, you can find all the show notes for this and all other episodes at AbundantEdge.com by clicking on the podcast tab in the navigation bar. On the website, you can also find a whole range of educational articles, as well as the services we offer from design and consulting to education. While you're there, don't forget to take a look at the courses and workshops we offer, which are all designed to empower you to take back control of your life by giving you the skills to produce your own food, manage landscapes regeneratively, build your own homes and structures with natural materials, and most importantly, to dream ever bigger about the highest potential that you could achieve for yourself, your community, and the planet that we share. I'm very grateful to all of you who have added comments and send feedback to me. Your contributions help this to be the conversation and dialogue that it's meant to be. For anyone else interested, you can email me and the whole team directly at info at abundantedge.com. And all of your feedback makes these episodes and interviews so much more engaging and help me to give you the information and content that you want. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll see you again in next week's session.